So glad you're here today. I want to welcome those online this morning. So good you're with us. So good to be here. If you're new here today, I want to welcome you as well. Uh, one of the reasons I did that both in the first and second service is because there's a lot of new folks around here. And you may have come in here thinking, you know, that person didn't talk to me, didn't say a word to me. You both may be new. And so a reminder for us that have been here a while, hey, let's just keep up the good work of making people feel welcome. But you just might have been two first-time guests. The other thing is sometimes you meet each other and you've both been here 15 to 20 years. And it's the first time you met. That happens as well. So uh, thank you for uh, your presence here today. Today is a great Sunday uh, to be a guest. We're in a series I'm excited about, uh, Hope Series. Uh, so excited that we even have someone over here on the right. I won't embarrass her, but her name is Hope. And I, it's her second time here. And I'm like, what a great time to show up for the Hope Series when you're Hope. Everyone needs a little bit of hope in their life. And so we're glad to actually have a hope here in our presence here today. Uh, but we are, uh, before the message today, I just want to have a little family talk. You ever know how to get around the couch and you gather as a family, you just have a little family conversation. So uh, if you're new, just bear with us. But I want to just share that if I don't make something known or let you know about it, you don't know it. So this is just kind of letting you know of a need. And first, I want to share with you some great things that are happening around here. Um, this last Easter Sunday was the best since we've been here in our eight years and the most that we've had in our people in attendance, both services. It was a great, uh, great day overall. On our overall attendance, we had 122 kiddos out there, and thank you to all the volunteers that were with all of Pastor Christie and her team. They had 106 this last Wednesday night. This last Wednesday night, we had a 91 teens here. I mean, we were having some good things happen here, some great days happen here, but also know that three years ago, our teens and our youth were about half of that. So we're about double the size of what we were three years ago, which means... Art supplies, other things cost double the amount of what they used to. And so that's one thing. And so the other thing is, is we have a million dollar budget around here um, annually. And you may think that's a lot of money, but it doesn't seem so much when you consider that every year that about 100000 of that or 10% of that is insurance and utilities. Now, can I get an excitement? Who gets excited to pay their insurance and utilities bill? Gene, you are a former insurance agent. That's not fair. Anybody else that's not an insurance agent that is excited about paying the insurance bill or their utilities? Of course, we don't get excited about that, but it's part of what we have to do. And so we are at the end of our fiscal year. We have three weeks left. April 30th finishes out this fiscal year. We head into the new one. And right now we have a short uh, 71000 which we have this Sunday and two Sundays left for offering and for tithes. But based on our kind of average where we've been, we're going to fall short of that without some special giving. And so uh, I just want to let you know of the need. And I thought about this. I'm a guy that looks at a problem and, or looks at a, a challenge and goes, man, this is overwhelming. We can't do it by ourselves. Heather and I would be totally discouraging to go, okay, we need to together come up with about 40000 more over the next three Sundays. But if you consider that we're not doing this alone, everyone doing it together, I did a little bit of a math based on everyone that would probably be here this morning and uh, that was here in the first service and those joining us online, that if every person, man, woman, and child, gave an extra 50 bucks above what their normal giving is. And so, uh, you know, I said a family of four, if they gave 400, if they gave 200 extra dollars, or if you're a family of 10, we know you probably can't do that um, unless you're independently wealthy. But maybe you're a family of two that could make up for that family of 10 
everyone can do something is the point. And so a child or an elementary student could give $5, and there could be someone that could give $5,000. But overall, if we kind of average, I believe God's going to help us. I'm hopeful that God is going to help us finish out the year in the black. And so, again, if I don't let you know that need, you're, you're not going to be any wiser for it. So, anyway, I just want to let you know that. Well, I am filled with hope this morning, but the hope that we talked about last week where we started our foundation, hope resurrected. Uh, Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said that if we don't have the hope of the resurrection, um, my, uh, my teaching and preaching is futile. And what we do, we're fools. And I'm wasting my time up here without the resurrection. But with the hope of the resurrection, all things become possible. And we're going to talk about uh, continuing on in that hope because uh, we're, we get excited about, pastors get excited about Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. And it's a great Sunday. Uh, but then Monday comes and you start to head into the next week. How do we keep that hope alive? How do we keep the, the passion and the fire burning in our hearts? That's really what we're talking about the next seven weeks in our hope series. And I want to start with this question going the opposite direction. What kills hope? What kills hope and passion? And it's a word that you're familiar with, familiar with. All of us have experienced it. It's universal. Everyone doesn't discriminate based on age, sex, uh, old, young. It doesn't matter ethnicity. It doesn't matter. Everyone battles discouragement. All of us face times of discouragement. Maybe you're in a season of discouragement right now. Maybe you're not. And if you're not right now, you will be. I mean, it's just part of it. And then it's kind of a weekly thing too. So it's not just something that, you know, hey, we're going to do a series on seven, this next seven weeks on hope, and we're going to get rid of discouragement once and for all. You're never going to be discouraged again. I mean, we'd pack the place out. Everyone would be coming saying, hey, all those people, they never get discouraged. I mean, it's unrealistic to never be discouraged, but it is that battle that we have to fight. And it's a battle that we must fight. It's a battle that we have to win. We can't afford to lose. Uh, Pastor Ray Johnson, who's a lot of the inspiration for this series, he wrote a book on hope. And he's a, is a friend that when I was pastored in the Sacramento area, we loved to go to his church on Saturday night. Back then it was seven, 8,000. Now they're about 20,000. And uh, his daughter, uh, one of his twin daughters, uh, she's probably about 29, 30 now, but when she was a, a senior, and I don't remember if it was high school or college, she asked her dad um, if she could interview him because she was given this assignment at school to interview the most uh, strongest leader that she knew, the best leader that she knew. And what a compliment to him. She picked her dad and said, you're the best leader I know. Can, can I interview you? And she said, sure, absolutely. It's about a two-hour interview, 30, 40 questions. The last question was, What's the most important thing that you do as a leader? What's the most important thing you do as a pastor? And he said, that's easy. The most important thing that I do is to stay encouraged. And that may sound selfish, but he said, if I'm not encouraged, I can't be the, I can't be the husband your mother hopes I will be. If I can't be the father that you and your brothers and sister need me to be. I can't be the pastor and the leader in this community that I need to be if I'm not encouraged. So it is that battle that we, we must fight and we can't afford not to. I got a little bit ahead of myself here. You can get you hungry just for a second. We'll get back to that. Um, it's, this is universal. Everyone it happens to. 
I got on Google because Google's 100% reliable, uh, 100% accurate. We all know that. And so I got on Google and I asked the question, how many pastors have thought about or quit this last year or last month? And several studies came up. One is 42% of pastors this last year have considered uh, quitting this last year. Uh, one of the studies said 1,500 to 1,700 pastors quit every month this last year. I'm one of those, uh, I'm, a little, I'm suspect of that. I don't, I don't know how we could lose 1,500, 1,700 pastors a year and have any churches. I just think that's probably, I'm not really thinking that's accurate. But on a more conservative side, it said 250. Uh, I can buy into that. 250 pastors quit prematurely before retirement age to do, to do something else. And I don't say that for you to feel bad about pastors or anything like that. I just told you a bunch of encouraging news. Uh, we just came off Easter last week, pretty exciting times for pastors and churches. And so you heard about all the children's ministry and high school and middle school ministry. We're excited. There's some great things happening. Do I get discouraged sometimes? Absolutely. Have I ever thought about quitting? Absolutely. But not now. It's not that time that I'm sharing that. Why I'm sharing that is discouragement hits everybody. It doesn't discriminate. If you're in the medical field these last few years, my dad was in a hospital in Kansas City this last week. It took two nights. He got kicked out of ICU, uh, not ICU, the emergency room. I said ICU. I don't think anyone gets kicked out of ICU unless they're ready for you. They were in the emergency room. It took two nights for them to find a room for him. 30 beds were lined up around the nurses' stations up and down the hall because they didn't have room. Can you imagine the discouragement and frustration that our medical, they need our prayers and they need our encouragement. They, they, they need our love. It's a hard time. I'm sure there's discouragement there. Teachers, educators, I mean, there is, it's just, if you've been doing this for a while, it's a different day. There's discouragement there. If you're a mother of a preschooler, there's a category all alone for yourself, especially if you have two or three of those little boogers. I mean, when, when they're little and they're small and you're, I mean, this sounds sexist, it's not meaning to. It could be the other way. Wife comes home, husband comes home, whichever it is, husband comes home in this situation and you're just like, one of the things you're thinking is, I'm going to punch him. You know, he put me in this position. Or you might be thinking, here they are. I've had them all day. They're yours. And if you've had those feelings, I just want you to know you're normal. Yeah, we, yeah, praise the Lord. We got an amen on that one. It, it, it's, it, we all face discouragement, and there's all things that we battle. And so it's universal. It's going to happen. But what kind of encourages us? Any emotional leaders besides myself up here? Man, if I'm discouraged, I'm quick to go to the donuts, daylight donuts down there. Or if you back, get me a batch of hot, warm cinnamon rolls, actually it's, it's encouraging for like three seconds. And then when you're done, you regret it and you're totally discouraged when you look at the scale the next day. So, I mean, it has a catch point. That's not why I'm sharing. This is not your source of encouragement. You didn't come to church to hear get more cinnamon rolls. What I am saying is that about 12, 13 years ago, we went to a family camp in California with a bunch of families. Our girls were little at the time. And every night around 10 o'clock, the last thing they did is they had a snack that night. There's like warm brownies, homemade ice cream, different things. Wednesday night was always cinnamon roll night. Everyone loved the hot, fresh, delicious cinnamon rolls. I came rolling in. There was a couple hundred people in there. I was a little bit late. I was just hoping there was a cinnamon roll left for me. Sat down at the table and I went into my first bite, and it was awful. It was just, I couldn't believe it. I'd had it before. I was like, this is, this is terrible. But you're thinking, okay, something's wrong. That's before COVID. Maybe I got COVID. I don't know. But anyway, I dove into a second bite. 
tasted awful again. And I was like, what in the world's going on? Everyone at the table started laughing. They'd been in there in a while. They realized and they told me what had happened. One of the workers completely forgot earlier in the day, they left out an important ingredient of cinnamon rolls, sugar. They looked delicious. Best look, they looked like this, but they tasted terrible. And it's this series is about building ingredients, seven ingredients over the next 50 days or the next seven weeks, about building ingredients or seven factors to build into our lives that will help us battle discouragement and win an all-important victory that we have to win. And so um, this is what it, our week one is, and maybe the most important one, but all seven are important. And you miss one of those seven in these seven weeks, and it's going to affect your battle against discouragement. Today's about recharging your batteries. Eight years ago when I moved here, a, a board member from my last church, he's an Alaska Airlines pilot. He gave me a $500 gift card when we left to Home Depot. And I came here immediately, and I saw an electric mower for $499. I bought it. I've had that mower. If I would have just stayed on that mower and one battery, I'd be in trouble, though. I had to buy some extra equipment that went, you know, weed eater and stuff. I'm thankful more than the extra accessories for the other batteries that came with it. Because it takes three batteries for me to mow my lawn. Now, but you get a third of the way through and you got to replace the battery, go charge that one up, be ready. It takes three batteries to charge the lawn. We know in life we have to recharge things for them to work properly. Some of you, many of you have had experience where you went low on gas. Anybody run out of gas in the room? Anybody run out of gas? We had a lot in the first service. Yeah, we got some. So we have a few. We ran out of gas. Uh, it only happened once to us in, in, uh, out here on Plum a couple years ago. We almost made it to the sta station on 43rd and Plum, but we ran short at the circle, and we ran out of gas. We were coming into Mead, Kansas, coming around from Fowler, Heather's parents, and had been on the yellow light for a long time, and Heather's like, what are you doing? Why didn't you think to fill this up? And I was like, just want a good challenge, you know? Uh, we came around the corner. I was, I was white knuckling it going, it's late at night. I didn't want to have our kids over on the side. We barely made it in. It's a terrible way to drive. Riding on empty is a terrible way to drive. It's even a worse way to live. To, to run on empty is a, a worse way to live. And so we're going to talk today about four things that are uh, hope killers, passion killers, and then we're going to give three good news of some supply lines in that. Here's the first uh, one before we kind of get into there. This is the greatest chapter, I think, in the Bible on hope. Isaiah chapter 40. We have a teenager in here, and I didn't get permission between second service either. This is their verse. They have tattooed on them. I'm not advocating that if someone has against that, but I think it's pretty cool that if they're going to get a tattoo, it's Isaiah chapter uh, 40, verse 31 and 32 that we're going to read today. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful chapter on hope. And what makes it more powerful, it follows 39 chapters that are discouraging. If you read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, God is pronouncing woes and judgment. And it takes, thank God for chapter 40, because then he pronounces comfort and hope. And maybe you walked in here today, maybe you're watching online today, and you come in here today and you're feeling woeful or you're feeling judgment. I want you to know you can leave here with comfort and feeling hopeful. Because of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31 is where we're going today. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Remember what it was to be young? Man, isn't it, wasn't that good? Wasn't it good to be young? 
But discouragement does not discriminate. Even young people, even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord. So a lot of things that we all put our hope in and people put their hope in. Some put their hope in their 401Ks. That's discouraging. Uh, someone was telling me uh, they were uh, watched that channel where they show all the, uh, you know, the channel I don't watch, but shows how your stocks go up and down. I said, well, that's discouraging. You need to watch something else. I mean, or we'll put our hope in materials and things and stuff, things that, or our jobs or things are we, in, in a relationship, and those things can let us down. But to put our hope in the Lord will not disappoint they will renew their strength. Their batteries will be recharged. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Everyone, everyone gets discouraged at times. What we need to know is what fuels us and what drains us. So four things, that, uh, three things, first of all, that drain us. The first one is this, passion, the three passion killers. Number one, healthy people and unkind critics. Anybody know any unhealthy people or unkind critics? Please don't raise your hand. It could be sitting next to you and that's going to be awkward. But we all have people that we know are unhealthy people and unkind critics. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Parents, grandparents, why does it matter so much? Young people, why does it matter so much to us who your friends are and who you hang out with? It matters so much because we want you to be wise. We don't want you to suffer harm and suffer the life of a fool. So it matters to us who you hang out with. Unhealthy people and uncrying critics for go same for us as adults. Uh, John Maxwell says this: Some people add something to your life, enjoy them. Some people subtract something from your life, we tolerate them. Some people multiply something in life, we value them. Some people divide something in life, we avoid them, or we run like crazy. You ever been in the grocery store? You know where I'm going, don't you? Someone's sharp here today. You ever been to the grocery store and you look down the aisle and you see someone and you do one of two things, right? You've all done it, don't lie. Every single one of you, you've seen someone and you go, I got to go run and see that person until that person hi, give them a hug, a high five or whatever. You are excited to see them and you see another person, you're like, did they see me? I'm out of here. And you're about eight, eight rows down. If it's really bad, you're just going to leave and come shop a different time. I mean, you're just, you're either going to run to healthy people or you're going to run from unhealthy people. And that's just a fact. And before you judge your pastor and think that how unspiritual he is and how lack of compassion that he has, you're asking yourself the wrong question. The right question is this, am I one of those people? Am I one of those people that my pastor's going to run from when he sees me in the store? Am I going to be the person that he's going to run to? What kind of person are we going to be? Unhealthy people and unkind critics. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Unkind critics, um, they have a gift. It's called the gift of discouragement. My dad was a pastor too in um, one of his churches. I didn't find this out till years later. One thing I'm thankful for my dad, he just didn't talk bad about the church or board members or people or whatever. But when I became an adult, especially when I became a pastor, I began to hear some of those stories. And I knew who this guy was that he talked about. And one of the most discouraging things that happened to him was he went to an elderly man's, uh, to the hospital. He was actually on his deathbed. He was getting close to dying. And he'd been his pastor for about 11 years. 
10, 11 years, and he went in and he went to encourage him and pray for him. And this man looked at my dad square in the eye on his deathbed and said, it's time for you to go and find another church. Those are some encouraging words, aren't they? And so uh, I'm sure being the, my dad being kind, he was a kind man. I'm sure he blessed him and I'm sure he prayed for him. But those words, you never know where they're going to come from. They can be discouraging. Larry Ehoff was our worship pastor in Visalia, California when I was associate pastor on staff with him. And he used to say to me, Kent, don't let the joy suckers get you down. We all have joy suckers in our life. And honestly, we can't completely avoid them. It's not even healthy that we avoid them. Sometimes we run from them, but the reality is it's not even being Christ-like if we just run from everybody that we don't get along with. We have to engage. It's not being godly. But we can take the example of Jesus. And Jesus spent the majority of his time with 12 disciples, specifically the 11 that stayed with him the whole time. But even that 12, he stayed with those 12 24-7, night and day, because they were like sponges. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to grow. They wanted to learn. They wanted to become more like him. And so he invested the majority of his time in them. Then he invested time in crowds, but he also invested in the Pharisees. Now, he didn't go looking for the Pharisees, but he didn't avoid the Pharisees. You can't avoid Pharisees and religious uh, critics. And they came to him, and he loved them. He shared grace with them. He shared truth with them. But he didn't spend the majority of his time with him. So unhealthy people and unkind critics is one that can drain us. Two is unnecessary guilt. King David said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself... I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Now, guilt has a purpose and a place. Guilt comes into our life to, to, to hit us in the face and say, this isn't good, this isn't right, you need to change directions. And we all need that guilt in our life. But what's not healthy guilt is, is sin that's confessed. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says if when we confess our sin to him, he throws our sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. That he has selective amnesia. That he throws our sin into the sea of forgetfulness where they can't be found and remembers them no more. If God's willing to forget your sins, you need to forget your sins. If God's willing to forgive and forget your sins, you need to be willing to forgive and forgive yourself of your sins. Otherwise, it's carrying unnecessary guilt that's going to weigh you down and suck the joy out of your life. The third is underestimating the impact of exposure. Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is the battle of the mind. And we all battle this. And we may have people say negative things. We may have unkind critics in our life. But some of the most unkind critics in our lives is ourselves. And you say things to yourself sometimes that you would never think about saying to someone else. You would never tell someone else you're hopeless 
There's no hope for you. You might as well just settle in for where you are because you're never going to get better. You're always going to be a loser. You're always, you would never say that to someone else. And yet, you will say that to yourself. And we've all had that stinking, thinking, negative self-talk, and we have to fight that. And so now we're going to get into how do we fight that? Well, we have to develop supply lines. Those are things to be aware of, things to avoid. So how do we develop some supply lines? I had a great neighbor. Um, uh, his name is Bob. I love Bob. He's the best neighbor I ever had. And when I have problems in the yard or something fixed, I'm so thankful I can go next door to Bob. He can fix and do anything. And he's patient with a young, well, I consider myself young, I guess. I'm not that young anymore. I should know a lot more. I'm an idiot when it comes to those things. So what I've learned is I was like, man, I don't want to just, you know, feel like entitled or like I can't do anything for myself. I at least want to show I'm making an effort that I'm trying. So there was these sprinkler lines and they weren't working. They, about 10, 15% of the water was coming out, barely trickling out. Well, I saw there was one sprinkler and it was bubbling up out of the grass and all the water was going out in the street. I was really watering the street really well. And I knew when we get to the dog days of summer, I'm going to have all brown grass if I don't get this fixed. And so I thought, I'm going to do my due diligence and not just show up to Bob and say, here, Bob, here's a shovel. Can you help me? I went and I dug the hole. I dug it deep. I got underneath the pipes and I found the problem. And I thought, okay, can I get this fixed? Can I try it myself first? I went to Home Depot, Home Depot told the person what happened. And he said, oh, that's easy. An idiot could fix this. Um, he didn't say an idiot, but he was just saying, this is, this is so easy. I went back really confident thinking, I can totally do this. I went back, tried to do what he did. I couldn't fix it. I'm an idiot. So I go over to Bob. I knock on Bob's door and I say, hey, Bob, it's your idiot neighbor. Hey, can you come out um, or would you have a moment sometime to help me? Here's the problem. He goes, oh, yeah, sure. Let me change shoes and I'll come out and look at it. He went out, looked at it, looked at a few things. He said, I got a couple of these things in my garage. I'll get it. But you need this from Home Depot. Go back and get this. I went, got it, came back. Boom. In seconds, Bob had it fixed. And just like that, that is developing your supply lines. You're fixing the supply lines, and now it works great, 100% coverage. The water works great because I've developed, we have to develop our supply lines. Here's one of our supply lines. Four that I want to give you quickly today. The first one is this. Commit yourself to the church. The writer of Hebrews says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. I like the translation that says that some people are in the habit of doing. We form good habits and bad habits. He says, do not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. God made the church to encourage. In fact, the church, Jesus said, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against the church. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. For our growth and supply line and spiritual development, God wants us to be a part of the church, not a building. That When we leave the building, the church is left. The church is a people that gather around the name of Jesus. When two or three people gather in the name of Jesus, it's where the church where you're going to develop a supply line of encouragement and where you find, find strength in that. So commit yourself to the church. I want to steal something from a friend of Pastor Brandon and myself. In fact, Pastor Brandon is here because of uh, Kevin Jack. Kevin's a pastor of a large church in Florida, and uh, he was Brandon's youth pastor. Brandon got a call into ministry under his ministry. I'm thankful uh, for his influence. And last week at their Easter services, they had like five of them, um, he said this to his people. He said, give us three visits to learn culture, meet people, and see what God is doing in your life. And I thought, man, I wish I'd had that last week because I would have shared that on Easter Sunday because it is so true. 
And if you're kind of new and you're kind of checking things out, I would say the same thing to you today. Give us three visits to learn the culture, to meet some great people, and best of all, see what God's going to do in your life. I'm telling you, there's something God does in our life when we're open, when we come with an open heart, open mind, and attitude. He works in our hearts and our lives through his people, through messages, through the music. God is at work. See what God will do in your life if you give him an opportunity. Second thing is engage in worship. Psalm 149.1 says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. There's something about worship that develops our supply line. Now, worship is not just 30 minutes on Sunday that we sing. It's, it's praising God throughout our week and giving him honor and thanks and glory for who he is. But there's something about worship that elevates us, that lifts us. There's a story I read about an about a aviation pilot back in the 1920s. He wasn't the first to do this, but he was seeking to fly around the world in a small uh, plane, and he got to the Bahamas of the Caribbean. He filled up there for his trip to go across the Atlantic. And when he was, you know, a couple hours across the Atlantic in the middle of it, couldn't go back, couldn't go forward, he began to hear this gnawing sound of, of rats on, the, on his steering cables. And he thought, if this rat, you know, gets through that and tears through that, we're done, we're sunk. And he's like, I, I got to figure this out. And he began to think to himself, you know what? Rats are meant to live on land, not in the air. And so he immediately, he started climbing as high as he could. He went up another two or 3,000 feet. And as he elevated, he noticed that sound went away. There was no more gnawing. And when he landed on the other side of the Atlantic for his next pit stop, he got up in there and above him and he pulled out that rat and he threw that dead rat out. And that's what worship does for us. Worship elevates us above our are, are rats of our life, the rats of anxiety, the rats of discouragement. The, it's not that they're not there, but it, 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 worship, when we look and, and to, to look to see how good God is and how, how big God is and how great God is, there's something about when we worship, He elevates us above our circumstances, above our situations, and it kills the rats in our life. Number three, unleash the Bible in your life. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. You see the, the screens on the side of me and behind me, and you'll see that's a desert and no tree other than a cactus grows well and dry. And someone was out going leaving today said, I saw your walls and stuff. We need to pray for our farmers. They need rain. Forty people gathered downtown to pray for rain this last week because we needed rain. Rain came Friday night. We said, you should have prayed earlier. So anyway, we need to be praying for our farmers. We need rain in our community. But, uh, but the one who's planted by, by in the Word of God is like a, a, someone who plants themselves by streams of water. And whether it's good or bad, in season or out of si season, they're going to rise above it. And that's what the Word of God does for us. All the time we're saying, get into the Word. Get into the Word. Why is it so important to get into the Word? It's one of our supply lines. 
It's one of the things that encourages us. There's over 7,000 promises in the scriptures, and we can't know those promises if we're not getting into them. And I know the second thing is, it's like, well, where do I begin? Where do I start? So anytime someone raises their hand, you'll hear the instruction, hey, go out here to our, one of our lobbies, get a new Believer's Bible, and, and it also gives you a 34-day plan. It tells you, you just start at, at day one, chapter one, and you just begin to, having a plan makes all the difference. And so I just want to tell you, I've shared a few of these before. I'm going to share them again. This is a couple um, tools. They're not the only tools. You don't have to use it, but if you find a tool that's something that's simple and easy and repeatable, you'll find yourself, you're going to be growing if you will just do one of these. One is the Bible Recap. It's a podcast. Terry Lee Cobble, she's a great teacher, and she does a uh, kind of commentary after you read the passage that you're assigned to read. It's a great thing. So you just go look for a podcast that says the Bible recap. Man, there's so many tools in it that I can't even tell you about. But if you'll do that and do it every day, you know, 10, 12 minutes of your time a day. Another is an app called Through the Word. I've told you about that many times. It's one chapter a day at a time. And then when you're done reading that chapter or listening to that chapter while you're putting your makeup on, ladies, or whatever it is, then you can listen to the commentary that's about seven or ten minutes. Every time, every single time, I don't care how much I've read the scriptures, every single time I do one of these, I learn something I had learned before. I'm encouraged by something I wasn't encouraged by before. It's developing your supply line to unleash the Bible in your life. And lastly, build great relationships that build you. Ecclesiastes, if either of them falls down One can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Sorry, Dad, this is becoming a little bit too personal. We've had some falls at 83 years old in the last few weeks. And uh, this, but if you don't have someone to help you there or even a little button to hit or whatever, if you don't have someone there to pick you up, you're sunk, you're lost. Heather's grandfather, who's going to turn 105 this November, a couple years ago, he's about 103, he fell out in the garage. He laid there for two and a half hours, did not press the button that he had because he did not want to go to the, you know, assisted living. He just wanted to, he was going to figure it out. Somehow he made it, got it out, and he, he made it. He's now since gone to the nursing home. He's gained 10 pounds. He's doing much better. Going to be 105 in November. Not bad, huh? Any old ladies looking for a great guy? <laughs> They're always trying to set him up with someone there, you know. But build great relationships that build you. And either of it, we're all going to fall down. And we need people to pick us up. God created the church. He created one another. We're not meant to live alone. We're meant to live in community. We're meant to live in together. We're two or three gathering his name. He promises to be there. There is power in gathering with God's people. And it is one of your most important supply lines. So we talk about life groups. I'm running out of time. So uh, life groups, if you're interested and you're wondering, we've heard you talk about it, don't know how to get it. That's Pastor Nate's passion. He wants to help you get connected in life groups. And when you get in life groups, your life is going to have a, a a meaningful, significant supply line that's going to help you. The other thing is this, is we've had so many guests. We just did this about a month and a half ago, but we're going to do another one. April 30th, a great way to connect with some great people, learn and meet some new people, and and us to get a chance to meet you is our connection lunch on April 30th. Um, At minimum, you get a free lunch. It's going to be a great day. Pastor Brandon's going to tell you more about that at the close of the service. And I I just want to say this, friends, There is so much power, and I I forgot one of the things. 
man, I hate to leave out good illustrations. We'll do this really well and fast. Ask me about it afterwards. It'll make sense to you. But let me tell you this. That's a whole illustration I just forgot. You've, you've, you've seen this before. You've been here long enough. Our, our lives are like this. They're like a couple of Coke cans. If you don't like Coke, can pretend it's Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, whatever you want it to be. But our lives are like this. Empty or full. This one is empty. This one's full. And we're not developing our supply lines. We're not connect when we're not committed to the church, when we're not unleashing the Bible, we're not elevating our lives in worship, when we're not building great relationships, when we're not doing those things, it doesn't take any strength to just crush you. But when you're filled with your supply lines, when you're unleashing God's word in your life, when you're hanging around God's people and being built up by others, when you're committed to the church and you're, you're worshiping, you are going to be full. And I don't care how strong you are, the strongest person in here. Sorry, Oscar. I think I look at you. You're probably the strongest. Uh, but I don't care who you are. I could bring Oscar up here. You're not going to be able to bust this open uh, without some machinery or tool. And that's our lives. Our lives that are either developing supply lines and filling us up or supply lines that are, that are crushing us. Will you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you today that you have a plan for us to defeat discouragement and hopelessness. Lord, I'm excited about the next six weeks to continue in this journey about how you want to help us, Lord, to be filled with hope and how you want to, even if we'll get 10, 15% more hope than we have right now, when we get a little bit of hope, all things become possible. So I pray that you would use the next six weeks, Lord, to, to fuel our hope, to build us up, and to help us to be strengthened and stronger and filled with your Holy Spirit. And Father, today, the greatest thing we can do is connect to the supply line. We can have the supply line, but if we're not connected to the well, I can have the best sprinklers in the, in the world, and I can have all of the lines fixed and operating, but if it's not connected to that well, it has no power. So Lord, I pray that first and foremost we would tap into the power source of Jesus Christ, make you our Lord and Savior, give you our life, and watch the hope that you begin to build in us and through us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, that's the greatest thing you can do is tap into the well of Jesus Christ. And if you have not done that yet, I believe God's calling you to do it. He's asking you now. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if today, today's the day of salvation, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and you want to leave here with hope that you did not have, you just raise your hand that I can pray with you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, for these that have um, raised their hand this morning, I pray today that when they leave here in a few moments, they'll be filled with the hope that only you can give. And they'll begin with the rest of us to develop their supply lines to stay strong in you. Do you stand with me this morning? There's these that have raised their hand this morning. You know what we do. We pray a prayer, and we don't make them pray it alone, but there's a prayer of faith that we're going to pray right now. It's simple. It doesn't matter what the words are. What matters is what's said in the heart. 
If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, Jesus Christ was raised from the, from the dead, as we talked about last Sunday, you will become a child of God. So we're going to pray this together. Affirmation of our faith, confirmation of our faith. Repeat after me, would you? Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your grace by faith. You know what that last one, even though I missed it. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen and amen. Can we congratulate those who made that decision today? Come back next Sunday. Let's keep growing together. Pastor Brandon has something to share with you.